0: Brothers and sisters, well this morning our gospel reading, um, as you heard, is on the topic of money, and Jesus has much to say about this topic, um, both here and elsewhere. In fact, if you've ever read the gospels, you'll know that Jesus speaks to this question of economics more than any other single social issue. So by sheer volume of his words on this topic, we're able to see how critical Jesus believed that it was for the people of God to have right hearts and right practices, both internal and external holiness when it comes to the topic of money. Richard Foster writes, If in a comparatively simple society, our Lord lays such strong emphasis upon the spiritual dangers of wealth, how much more should we, who live in a highly affluent culture, take seriously the economic question. So I hope we can see the relevance of this topic before us today. Christians are called to live with simplicity, generosity, and joyful unconcern over whether we have much or little. I remember one time, um, there was this married couple on InterVarsity staff, and, uh, and the way that they lived really impressed me, and one time I brought it up to them, I said... Um, yeah, I just really appreciate how you guys dress simply and you don't you know, spend a bunch of money everywhere and whatever and, uh, and they said, well don't give us too, credit. We, too much credit, we don't have any money
1: <laughs>
0: well I told them, well I at least admire you for not spending beyond your means then <laughs> I-, I think it's actually helpful for us to admit up front that none of us are invulnerable in this area, none of us are in a place to judge both because Jesus commanded us not to, and also because we all have weaknesses. We may have very little, but the love of money may still be alive and well in our hearts. We may have much, and we don't even realize we don't, that we have so much because we don't pause to thank God or to ask Him what He wants us to do with it. We're too busy seeking to acquire more and more. We all come with weaknesses. No one has this thing totally figured out. And actually, the person I'm most concerned about this morning is the one who can encounter the words of Jesus and walk away without any sense of wrestling or being challenged. That's the person I'm worried the most about. If you're uncomfortable with Jesus' teaching on money, you're supposed to be. If you're challenged, you're in good company. If you're not challenged, beware. Beware. The goal is to read scripture with a submissive and repentant heart. As the old Shaker hymn says, to turn, turn will be our delight, till by turning, turning we come round right. So, living this repentant life so that we say, you know, this thing that used to seem all right to me, that just doesn't seem all right to me anymore. I've been, you know, maturing in my relationship with the Lord. I've been reading more scripture, so I'm going to turn from that. And then we kind of realize that our heart's fallen off the horse on the other side, and we turn again, and we turn, and we turn, and we never stop doing that in this life till we turn around right, till Jesus comes back and turns us around right. Amen? Amen? Let me open us in prayer. Father, may we have hearts and minds and lives that are ready to turn when we hear the words of Jesus today. Father, we pray for you to interrupt and reorder our lives in the way that you see fit, big ways and small ways. Show us how we've been cramming all of our stuff into the one envelope that says, myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you'd please open your gospel reading to Luke 12, if you haven't starting on verse 13. And this passage is so meaty, and it's a long passage, so we're actually going to split it up into two weeks. So today I'll concentrate mostly on the parable that comes in Luke 12, 13 through 21, and then next week we'll look at the rest and really talk about the freedom of simplicity, the freedom regarding uh, money that the Lord wants to bring bring us into. So this passage today begins with um, someone trying to tell Jesus what to do. Which is never a good idea, right? (laughs) We read in verse 13 someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, it wasn't uncommon for people in Israel to take their unsettled disputes to respected rabbis, but Jesus viewed this particular request as improper. Now, I, I think all Christians have done something like this before. We've come to Jesus with some selfish demand. Jesus, tell my parents to do such and such. (laughs) Jesus, tell my wife to do such and such. that's kind of what seems to be going on here. And even though Jesus is the rightful judge of the whole universe, when it comes to this man's sibling dispute, he wants no part of it. So Jesus says to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? They needed to communicate and work things out with each other not seek to gain an advantage by something that they could get a famous rabbi to say to them. But there was something else at work in this situation, something in the man's heart that made Jesus reluctant to grant his request. The Son of God saw into this man's heart through his surface presentation, the same way that he sees into our hearts today. And he knew that the issue behind the man's request was not simply injustice or a desire to have the matter settled with his brother. It was his lust for possessions, lust for money, for wealth. Or to use the language of the Ten Commandments, the root issue was covetousness. It's the Tenth Commandment, thou thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. So Jesus makes a living lesson of this situation. And he says to the crowd in verse 15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Notice how the predominant tone from Jesus regarding money here is warning. He uses phrases like, take care, be on your guard. He wants us to know that we're dealing with a spiritually dangerous topic. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus treats money as a rival God, saying that you cannot serve both God and mammon. You can't serve both God and money. And why is that the case, right? because. Sometimes God is going to say the same thing as, as money. Sometimes, sometimes you know, you're like, I'm praying about whether or not to take this job or that job. This job pays more or whatever. And maybe the Lord wants you to take the higher paying job. And maybe that's okay. But there's going to come times in your life where money says to go this way and Jesus says to go that way. And whichever way you go, that's your Lord. Right? So you can't serve both God and mammon. We have a... Uh, uh, um, we, we like to have... Uh, Three different, um, three different responses, really. We like to say, there's, there's what the world says. There's this sort of totally hedonistic, dump it all into one envelope um, sort of way of looking at things. And we're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. That's like that's greedy. We, we know we don't want to be that greedy. And then there's the way that Jesus talks about money. And then there's this third way that we invent. It's a, it's a false Jesus that... Um, you know, uh, we we, uh, we sow into our flesh, and we trick our souls, and we say the false Jesus says that we can we can do both, we can have both God and Mammon. Isn't that great? We can follow both of them. Look at your reading, if you would, from First Timothy six, in verses nine and ten, Paul says that the desire to be rich is a temptation, a snare. snare. I think of this, you know, rabbit traps and stuff in the woods. It's a trap. It leads us to many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's a craving that has even caused some people to wander from the faith. Do you hear what's being said, brothers and sisters? He's warning us. If there's one thing that I long for us to hear this morning from Jesus, it's this. That money is not a spiritually neutral topic. I mean, it's true that money in and of itself is neither good nor bad, right? And it's true that money can be used to accomplish great things in the kingdom of God. And it's even true that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes money can be a sign of God's blessing in your life. But because of fallen human nature, it is not a spiritually neutral topic. It has a drift. It has an almost gravitational pull towards selfishness, towards self-deception and idolatry. You know, there's a big difference between the way that people talk when they're living in a war zone, as opposed to the way that people talk when they're in the office of the United Nations, right? That's because the United Nations is a neutral place, right? You can go in there and you can have conversations and you might get in arguments, but you know that at least physically speaking, you're safe. But the tone of the New Testament on money is more like the war zone. You got to be on your guard. You got to be on your guard. This enticing idolatry is trying to woo you to itself. It's not it's not, you know, some statue that you're putting in your house to worship. But Jesus says that it's an idol. And Paul says it too in Colossians chapter 3, I mean chapter 3 verse 5. He says that the root of greed is idolatry. I, I remember one time I was, uh, I was at a conference and the uh, first time ever I was, I was leading this seminar on comparative religions, Jesus among other religions. And I was talking to this um, Hindu student who was an international student, brilliant guy. He was over, and uh, and he was really starting to warm up to Jesus, and he was really starting to get interested, and uh, and he was like kind of telling me where he's at, and he's like, but here's the thing, um, I feel like like if I like my family, like we we do ancestor worship or we do some of this different stuff in my living room, and if I don't participate in that, like it's going to be very disrespectful to my parents. Um... And I, I, really, I tried to hear him out. I was trying to be very sympathetic to him. But, you know, I told him in, in reality. And it was, it was the first time that I ever got to say, put away your idols and worship only the living God. It was the first time that I literally got to say that about actual idols. But did that mean that the rest of the people at the conference didn't have idols? They didn't have idols that their family was trying to pressure them into making peace with? Yeah. We all have those things, don't we? And Jesus names them. They're not always physical idols. And this is one of the biggest ones. Make this compromise. No, don't follow Jesus. Do this. I've heard many preachers, I'm sad to say, whose central message on the topic of money is something like, as long as you're not greedy, get as much as you can. (laughs) And the problem with that, besides the fact that it doesn't sound like the tone of Jesus, is that almost no one thinks they're greedy. Right? Almost no one thinks that their desire for a higher salary or a bigger house or a new car or fancier clothes is flowing from a place of greed. Do you think this man in the parable knew that he wasn't rich toward God? He was probably an Israelite, probably went to synagogue. My guess is rather he was self-deceived. He thought he could set up this third scenario where he could have both God and mammon. He didn't realize that money had become an idol and crowded God and love of his neighbor out of his life completely. Now I want to turn and look at this parable, but before we do, let me say that I don't think the parable of the rich fool is actually a criticism of planning for the future. I don't think that's actually what's going on here. Um, there's actually uh, a lot that Scripture has to say about planning for the future. It says a lot of good things about it. It calls it wisdom. For example, in Proverbs 6, we learn that we should take our, our cues from watching ants. We should watch the way that ants do things. An ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. It's, it's foolish not to plan. It's foolish not to think about the future in the way that we're kind of divvying up our resources. Not every season is a season of harvest, right? Um, And so that that harvest needs to last. So we make provisions for the future. That's, That's a wise thing in the Bible, but this parable is talking about something else. Let's turn to it, starting in verse 16. Jesus says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully and notice that he's he's already rich right even before the good harvest verse 17 and he thought to himself what shall i do for i have nowhere to store my crops now right here we start to see the process of self deception he actually did have a place to store his crops he had barns more than one and it sounds like they served his purposes pretty well up to that point right But his 2013 car was no longer new enough. (laughs) His iPhone 5 was no longer fast enough. His house was no longer big enough. He had barns, and they were the barns of a rich man. But they didn't have enough space for his superabundance. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Did you catch how many times he used the word I in just a few sentences there? I mean, he even talks to himself, right? So he says to myself, Self! Self! This is, this is a portrait of a man who's totally self-absorbed. He already had plenty, more than plenty. And when, it comes, when he comes into even greater wealth, the only person on his mind is himself, his own pleasure, his plush retirement. The great Bible commentator William Barclay writes, There is no parable which is so full of the words, I, me, me my and mine. The rich fool was aggressively self-centered. When this man had a superfluity of goods, the one thing that never entered his head was to give any of it away. Which is what Jesus says a few verses later in the passage. His whole attitude was the very reverse of Christianity. Instead of denying himself, he aggressively affirmed himself. Instead of finding his happiness in giving, he tried to conserve it by keeping. One of my heroes in the faith when it comes to the topic of money is John Wesley. He's the famous founder of the Methodist movement, both in England and in the U.S. And Wesley was an Anglican minister. I don't know if you know that. He used to receive communion almost daily. He was an open-air preacher, an advocate for the poor, a staunch abolitionist in his day. Wesley was born in 1703 and went on to live 89 years and as he aged he began to make more and more money um, due at least in part to the popularity of his books however early on he adopted a very specific rule of life when it came to his use of money when he was in Oxford he had an income of 30 pounds a year and he lived on 28 and gave two away
1: Um,
0: but when his income increased to 60 pounds a year 90, 120 he still lived on the same 28 pounds that were sufficient for him early on. And he gave the rest away. In fact, there was a government office in England at the time called the Accountant General for Household Plate. And they contacted Wesley to give them an account of what he owned. They're like, tell us what you have. Come on. Like. And he replied, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. This is all the plate I have at present. And I shall not buy any more when so many around me want bread." That's pretty radical. It's pretty radical. Now this isn't a law. I don't want you to hear me saying this is a law, but I think it's a beautiful application of Scripture. Some of you already know that it's the intention of the clergy at Incarnation to freeze our salaries once they get up to about the level of a tenured school teacher. Why, 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 are we, why do we want to do this? It's, it's not because I don't think that John is worth the salary of a nurse or a lawyer. Um, or it's not that I don't work as hard as a banker. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It's that our church wants to be freed up to use our excess money for the mission of God. For evangelism, for compassion for the poor, for church planting. And we also want to give as this testimony to the world... That the clergy at this church, were about the work of the gospel, not about the high life. We want to testify to the world that our life is not the ab- about the abundance of our possessions. Our parable concludes in verses 20 through 21. He was making all kinds of plans. He was saying all kinds of things to himself. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What good is treasure if we're not rich towards God? We can't bring any of it with us into the next life. I remember last year um, Avila was studying um, Egypt in her class at school. And, you know, the pharaohs, they would get buried with all kinds of things and possessions and gold and everything. They even would bury themselves with many wives and servants. Hate to be the servant, that is. Because they thought, hey, in the next life I can take these guys with me. I, I wonder if, if the servants and the wives had any doubts about that. You know, their, their, their theology at that point. Like, I don't think this is going to work out the way that they think it's going to, right? We can't take it with us into the next life. So what then? So what then? After we've built up all this stuff. I want to read to you a little story from this commentary here. There's a story of a conversion. Excuse me. Story of a conversation. Hopefully a conversion. (laughs) Between a young and ambitious lad and an older man who knew life. Said the young man, I will learn my trade. And then, said the older man, I will set up in business, and then I will make my fortune, and then I suppose that I shall grow old and retire and live on my money, and then, well, I suppose that someday I'll die, and then came the last stabbing question. The man who never remembers that there is another world is destined someday for the grimmest of grim shocks. When he talks to the one who owns all things. Let me take a few minutes just to summarize and wrap things up. We're going to continue on this topic next week. I began by mentioning how many, uh, uh, how commonly Jesus addressed this topic of money in Scripture, and how important it is for the Christian life, and that none of us have arrived on this topic. And all of us are called to a consistent wrestling with Jesus's words. One of the dangers um, when we talk about money uh, is that we always wanna kind of sort of like sanctify where we're at now. And kind of say, that's the simple life. And anybody who goes like a little bit further, it's like, uh, you're, you're being kind of excessive here, right? <clears throat> but then anybody who, who, uh, who has less or, or who wants to live on less, we're like, oh man, you're like an ascetic weirdo.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> So, right, we want, to, we want to kind of make a monument. We want to make a command of our specific way of, of, of putting this into practice. And I want to encourage you not to do that. I want to encourage you to wrestle with what it means for you to put Jesus' words into practice. Wrestle with your income level. Wrestle, wrestle with your family, with who you need to mix it up with, with what you need to do in life. Wrestle but don't stop remembering that, uh, that at the last day we'll give an account to the Lord for what we did with his stuff. Next, we notice that the tone of Jesus and Paul and the rest of the New Testament is often one of warning that money is not a spiritually neutral topic. In the parable, we saw a man who was self-absorbed when it came to money, and in the end, he was not prepared to meet God. There's a lot more that I want to say on this topic, but I'm going to exercise some restraints, and we'll come back next week. But for now, let me pray. Please stand. Father, help us to know today for sure that our lives do not consist in the abundance of our possessions. Lord, help our hearts to not get tangled up in that kind of stuff. (coughs) Lord, help us to enjoy the blessings you give to us, blessings you bring to our life in in a free way. Lord, help us to remember the poor as you ask us to do. Help us to remember that it all belongs to you. Form us. Teach us to turn and turn and turn until we come round right on this topic. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.